Each of our lives tell a story. And some of those events might seem smaller than others, but they're all significant. They're moments that shape us and form us. And so our life is this collective of moments through which we're all trying to discern and discover some sort of meaning. Often what happens is that we can focus on meaningless things to try to find meaning and purpose. And so we try to accumulate more money, more power, more success, but our true purpose can only be found in Jesus. It was Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so our reason and purpose for life can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. And this is why Paul writes the book of Colossians. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this short letter, just four chapters, 95 verses, written to the church in Colossae. And it has one purpose, and that's to tell us about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. That Jesus Christ is above all, and that Jesus Christ is all that we ever need. Now, it's important that we understand the bigger picture here. Because sometimes it's fair to say that we go through life with the blinkers on. We view everything from our perspective, and we don't look too far beyond that. A couple of weeks ago, in the midst of lockdown, about 3 a.m., I'm trying to be a good husband. I hear this little voice calling, Mommy! And I decided that I'd get up and move quickly and quietly, intercept the wake-up call, and allow Laura to hopefully get an unbroken night's sleep. Now, what I didn't realize is that Laura had already been up for an hour in Karis' room. Now, so I'm sneaking through the house in the dark. At 3 a.m., I step out of our bedroom door, and there's this figure striding towards me. And life goes into one of those kind of slow-motion, matrix-style moments. And this thought races through my mind of, I should punch them. <laughs> now, thankfully, just before I can react, Laura speaks, and she goes, you scared me. And I'm like, you don't say. <laughs> So what was meant to be this beautiful moment of keeping the house peaceful becomes this adrenaline-coursing moment that leaves me lying in bed till 4 a.m. unable to sleep. You see, the risk is when we look at Colossians is that we read it as just another letter. Some nice religious thoughts from Paul to teach people and encourage them as they follow Jesus. But if we don't widen our view, then we fail to see the threat. You see, Colossae is about 100 miles from Ephesus, where Paul spent some time building up the church. We don't think he ever personally went to Colossae, but we know that the impact of his ministry reached that town and it began to transform that place. There's church born in Colossae and the people seem to be doing quite well. They're growing in their faith, but there's a problem and that's why the letter is written. Without understanding the bigger picture, without seeing wider than our own experience, we aren't fully going to understand the book of Colossians. Yes, we could all read it and, and get some good stuff out of it, but when we come to the scriptures, we want to understand the fullness and the depth of the message. So it's important we know not just what Colossians says, but why it was written. See, Paul wrote it because there was a threat to the early church. They were growing in their faith. They'd heard about the gospel. They'd experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But then some other guys come into the story. 
They start threatening the pure faith they had in Jesus. And so what was the threat? Well, primarily, it was that Jesus wasn't enough. Into the church came all sorts of teachings to sit alongside the gospel, to tell people about extra things they had to do in order to be right with God. Um, Paul's purpose in writing to the church is to tell them that Jesus is enough because Jesus is everything. These people who were infiltrating the church were suggesting that Jesus wasn't God. The threat to the church was that these teachers were trying to promote lots of new ideas like the worship of angels alongside older Jewish customs as a sort of designer spirituality. And Paul's trying to realign everyone's vision to who Jesus is. And so he tells us that Jesus is everything. We see this beginning in verse 15 of the first chapter because he wants the church to know who Jesus is. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. So clearly Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. So when Jesus says in the Gospels, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one, he is speaking truth. As he exists in this relationship with God the Father, himself as God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity as we know it. Jesus isn't lesser than God. He is God. And through him, God has created the entire universe. Paul gets straight to it in verse 16. All things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. And in that statement, there's everything you need to know about life. That's who you are and why you're here. By Jesus, for Jesus. You see, you're a part of the creation created by Jesus for Jesus. When you bring this down to your life, it tells you who you are. You're unique and special because you are created by Jesus. And so our value comes from who we are. It's not our job, our finances, our accomplishments, our statuses that define our worth. You're valued because you're created by Jesus and you're created for him. Your gifting might be management, your ability might be medicine, or you might be an up-and-coming musician. There's so many qualities that we have, but our purpose is to know God, to be in a relationship with God, to worship God, to honor Him with our lives. And so if you're watching and you're wondering, who am I and why am I here? You're a valuable creation of Almighty God, and you're here to be in a relationship with Jesus to live your life following and reflecting his goodness to the world. Paul goes on to say, Jesus is before all things and in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. If you've ever wondered why is it all about Jesus, well, he created everything that exists. All authority is his to create everything in heaven and on earth. 
everything visible and invisible, thrones, rulers, dominions, powers, all created by Jesus and for Jesus. So there's nothing that exists without Jesus. He holds everything together. He's the head of the church. He's the first one out of the tomb, the first one out of death, the first one out of the grave. And then he's brought all of us who've trusted him out of the grave with him. Therefore, he gets the supremacy in everything. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Now that sounds nice. It's, it's almost poetic that Paul would say such a thing. But if you understand the threat to the church, that's Paul in a really powerful way, standing against anyone who would suggest that Jesus is anyone or anything less than God himself. You see, not only did Jesus create you, but Jesus died for you. So Jesus is king over every moment, over every breath. He saved us, so he becomes the ultimate priority in our lives. And so Paul is pointing us back to the truth of Jesus' claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not about our efforts, our good deeds, or our striving to please God that makes us right with him. It's by Christ and Christ alone. And yet these teachers are trying to add to the relationship, to draw it back into the realm of religion. See, one of the, the central themes of religion is that every religion gives you a path to achieve your ultimate end. So if you're trying to achieve enlightenment, then Buddhism gives you a path towards enlightenment. If you're trying to find favor with Allah, then Islam gives you a path to hopefully find favor with God. There's this common thread that runs through religion that guides us towards what we must do to get God's attention. One of the things I've observed over my life is that people are often searching for meaning. They know that life is missing something. They know that they're just living in this state of existence. Something's wrong. Something's broken. There's a hollowness or an emptiness inside of our souls. And so we're searching to find this thing called life that seems to be eluding us. And somewhere along the way, this connection is made. This sense of meaning and purpose in life is to be found in religion. So you can't have life unless you somehow earn God's favor. So you have to go through the process, this process of taking on religion so that maybe one day God will finally approve of you and give you life. It's this idea that, that God is sitting high above, waiting to see who's worthy to be invited into his presence. So you spend your life climbing and stumbling, always aiming higher, stumbling again, gathering yourself up and looking above, striving and, and trying to get to the top of the mountain so that you might prove your worth to God, that you might find life. We have this construct right throughout human history that God is elusive and we have to earn our way to God. But here's the thing. Any God that forces you to earn his love is not worthy of your worship. You see, 
this is where following Jesus doesn't qualify as religion. Because if every religion gives us this construct of a path towards a goal, towards nirvana, towards heaven, then Jesus flips it all upside down. Because Jesus didn't come to tell us what we need to do to get to God. Jesus came to show us what God would do to get to us. That's the wonder of who Jesus is. If God is love, if everything he does is is fueled by his desire to have relationship with humanity, then it makes total sense that if we're the ones who are broken, if we're the ones who need God, it makes perfect sense that God would come to find us. Because we're the ones who are lost. We're the ones who need someone to show us the way. And so Paul reminds us in Colossians 1 verses 21 to 23, when he says, once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And so Paul reminds us that Jesus, who was fully God, stepped into human history because it's not above God to step into our brokenness and to become one of us and to show us the way to love. It's our faith in Jesus and in him alone that sets us free from living a life of religious ritual, an endless struggle of trying to earn God's favor. And so this chapter closes with these beautiful words in verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this message of the gospel isn't a new program. It's not a new set of laws or strict systems that we have to follow. It's a new position, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, in the pursuit of meaning, we chase after meaningless things. But you'll not be most fully alive when you've climbed to the top of the career ladder. You'll not be most fully alive when you've amassed the greatest amount of wealth. You won't be most fully alive when you've bought that dream house because you'll be most fully alive when you're most fully loved. Because you can feel fully loved and not have wealth or money or power or fame. And it's in Jesus that we discover the essence of love in its truest form. It's in Jesus that we experience unconditional love. Because it's not about our performance or our best efforts that end in hopelessness. But in Jesus, we find an endless hope. Jesus is enough. You're created by Jesus and for Jesus. And so we declare Jesus to the world. We proclaim his message of love and hope and grace and forgiveness in everything that we say and do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you pursue each and every single one of us with an unrelenting love. Father, that you didn't uh, stay far from us and give us a, a guidebook on how to achieve favor with you, but God, that you stepped into our brokenness. 
that you walked with us, that you experienced what it's like to live on this earth. But Jesus, that you died and that you were the firstborn from amongst the dead, that you were raised to life and that we can place our faith and our trust and our hope in you. God, we thank you that you have given us in Jesus everything that we need. So God, help us to be people who declare your goodness to the world, who show people that it's not about our best efforts, but it's about a king who we can know as a friend. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.